For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. An anthropologist at the University of Michigan published a study this week arguing that Ice Age humans may have eaten digesta the partially decayed vegetable matter from the digestive tracts of bison. Digesta might sound like an off-brand competitor to Metamucil, or something your grandfolks drink. But this anthropologist says it may have offered a substantial source of calories and carbohydrates. In fact, Professor Raven Garvey claims that a 1,000-pound bison would have provided enough digesta for 25 adult foragers to meet the USDA's average recommendations for proteins and carbs for three days. I don't know what that says about the USDA's dietary recommendations, but I had no idea a bison's partially digested cud could be so nutritious. If correct, Garvey's observations could have important implications for how we understand the behavior of Ice Age humans. If these folks could harvest their vegetables and protein from a single bison, a prehistoric Walmart, one-stop shop, it's possible that hunter-gatherer activities were less strictly stratified by gender than we previously believed. Maybe, instead of wandering around looking for plants to forage, Ice Age women could have participated in the bison hunt and harvested those plants from the animal's small intestine. I promise you, this is the case. Basically, everything we've assumed about how the Ice Age people went about their day is slowly getting debunked, so let's not uh, think that some sort of sexual stratagem was in place. Garvey admits that fresher plant matter was likely available for many hunter-gatherer societies but when plants were scarce, it's possible that Digesta offered a way to gain key nutrients and free up time and energy for other activities, which, oddly enough, is exactly what we modern humans do right now. Think of all the drink mixes and meal substitutions that really don't taste great that we willingly inhale in order to free up our time. 
the price of convenience. Have an Ultra Slim Fast Shake for lunch and feel the difference. This week, we've got amazing animals, legislation, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was super fun. I ran over to Missoula, Montana, go Hellgate Nights, and join a bunch of motivated and talented people brought together by Pheasants Forever. These people represented a long list of agencies, councils, and nonprofits committed to open space, habitat improvement, and yes, even pheasants, but turkeys and migratory birds too. I learned about building beaver dams in the absence of beavers in order to restore groundwater, create fire breaks and drought-tolerant zones. I learned about rural coalitions that have been formed in order to take advantage of water and grazing restoration programs available from the feds in the state. I just felt good to see a bunch of folks doing good work and also being as how the meetings didn't start until 9 a.m., I squeezed in a few morning turkey hunts. Nothing like calling birds on private ground from the wrong side of the fence. Anyway, I stuck around Missoula for a couple of reasons. One, Missoula Club Burger. Two, the HHA, Wild Night for Wildlife, was Saturday night. If you're not familiar with this most excellent organization, Hellgate Hunters and Anglers, it's the type of local rod and gun club everyone should be a part of. Great membership. They show up to the Capitol to testify on issues affecting hunters and anglers across the state as well as fish and game meetings, and they even built a heck of an awesome archery range in town. On top of that, if you ever make it to a wild night for wildlife, the food is really good. Whoever was pumping out the enchiladas, meatballs, empanadas, elk queso cheese dip, sandwiches, I'm sure I'm forgetting some things, but it was fantastic. If you live in the greater Missoula area, do yourself a favor and look up Hellgate Hunters and Anglers. Next reason I stuck around town. Bunch of friends I grew up with flew into Missoula, and amongst the many highlights that occurred during the weekend of hanging out with this group on the banks of the Blackfoot, our buddy Dave got his first game animal ever. That damned turkey decided to cross the fence and then made another bad decision when he totally ignored the six-foot-six-inch Dave shaking on the ground next to the decoy. 39 yards, the old 410 with number 9 TSS shot, It was all over but the kicking. And I'll be darned if we didn't hear a single bird until after we completed a several mile loop and ended up right back at the truck. Great shooting Dave. Congrats on your first bird. I'll let you know what he did with it. On to the snort report. (coughs) Old Snorticus is three years old. She was able to ring in this benchmark age with roughly 300 water retrieves from the icy cold Blackfoot. She's still asking for more. Happy birthday, little girl. Okay, housekeeping. Remember, every Tuesday, the Element Crew and the Buck Truck is on the Meat Eater YouTube channel, and by heading to the Meat Eater website and signing up, you can win over $3,000 in gear, as well as a personalized gear styling with Meat Eater's own Giannis Patelis. Alright, moving on to the Wildlife Desk. A new study published in the journal Scientific Reports has found that pheasant feathers could be used to determine the presence of heavy metals on the landscape. Birds tend to be more sensitive to toxins than mammals, especially birds that are herbivorous and territorial, meaning they eat plants and stay more or less in the same place. Bird tissue can indicate the presence of heavy metals like lead, arsenic, nickel, and zinc, but these Polish researchers wondered if that same information could be collected from feathers so they harvested tail feathers from 64 one- to two-year-old pheasants that were killed during hunting season in four forested areas of Poland. 
Sure enough, when they analyzed the feathers for heavy metals, they found a strong relationship to soil contamination and urbanization. While they caution that the results are preliminary, this is the first analysis of pheasant feathers in monitoring environmental pollution. It could be a non-invasive way for scientists to check the heavy metal pollution over the last few months. This could be a cool way to measure your cock after a hunt against a fellow hunter's bird. We know pheasants like to live on that edge habitat created by farming operations, and the ones that live beyond the site of the barns and cultivation are extra special. So you could determine the wildness of your bird, and thusly how far you ranged as a hunter by how few metals are found in your bird's feathers. Then show those numbers off against your fellow hunter's feathers, and then you'll get it. You know, then you know who's better. In another cool study, sent in by listener Carl Kaufman, scientists report that northern elephant seals sleep 20 minutes at a time and average only two hours of shut-eye per day. This means that elephant seals rival African elephants for the least amount of sleep measured among mammals. Though I do not believe college students and maybe new parents, congrats Kevin and Laura Farron, are included in any of that data. Elephant seals live in the Pacific Ocean for most of the year, where they spend their days hunting for fish, squid, and other food. During these months-long expeditions, they have to worry about keeping their 2,000-pound bodies fed while also avoiding predators like sharks and killer whales. It's hard to get much quality shut-eye when you're worried about free willy snacking on your hindquarters. So elephant seals dive way below the surface, 60 to 100 meters, where sharks and whales don't often go. Then they relax into a glide until they fall asleep, at which point they hold themselves upright as they continue sleeping. They float slowly downwards, even farther out of reach of predators. They usually get about 10 minutes of sleep, and they're below the surface for about 20 minutes. Scientists were able to track this sleep strategy by attaching caps and other sensors to 13 young female elephant seals. They used these sensors to track the brain waves, heart rates, and 3D motion of five at a lab and six hanging out along the coast of California. Once they determined the seal's distinct sleep-dive motion, they could pick out naps in the dive records of 334 adult seals that had been outfitted with tracking tags from 2004 to 2019. Their detailed data also showed them that unlike many marine mammals, which sleep with half their brain at a time, elephant seals shut off both sides of their brains while they sleep. This makes them more vulnerable to predators, but it also gives them better rest. They have to dive down to over 100 meters to get it, but it sounds worth the effort. I mean, just turning off both sides of our brains is worth the effort. I mean, guaranteed you could sell that ability for a premium during the upcoming election cycle. In our final story at the Wildlife Desk, a bee researcher in Arizona recently released a book claiming that bees feel complex emotions similar to mammals. According to a review of the book in the newspaper The Guardian, Stephen Buckman claims that bees can demonstrate sophisticated emotions resembling optimism, frustration, playfulness, and fear. He also says bees can experience PTSD-like symptoms, recognize different human faces, process long-term memories while sleeping, and maybe even dream. Buckman and his colleagues, which The Guardian describes as, quote, fringe, are arguing for a more humane and ethical treatment of bees given this apparent sentience. This, by the way, also presents a pretty serious problem for vegans. Honey isn't the only food that relies on bees. Virtually all plants require some form of pollination, and many crop producers truck in bees from somewhere else for that purpose. 
Thousands, probably millions of bees die every year during this process, which, if Buckman is right, makes them very, very sad. Of course, we aren't yet able to sit a bee down on a couch and shrink its head. Researchers rely on experiments and tiny neurotransmitters and use that data to deduce emotional states. For example, one experiment hit a robotic spider inside a flower, which captured and then released bees when they got too close. Bees learned to look for that spider before landing on a flower, but some exhibited what scientists called PTSD-like symptoms. They showed false alarm at safe flowers, scanning them briefly before moving on. Other experiments tracked dopamine and serotonin levels in bees and extrapolated emotions based on that. Whether you believe that honeybees get angry or bored, or that's just beeswax, their history in North America is fascinating. Honeybees are not native to this continent, they were imported by Europeans, and their migration across North America tracks pretty well with the white settlers. They were used for pollination and honey, but they also outcompeted native species of bees for resources. All bees pollinate plants, but humans have given honeybees an advantage because it's easy to transport box hives across the country. Other bee species, which live in the ground or plant stems, may be native to North America, but aren't given nearly as much attention. In fact, you may have seen these bees and not even realized you were looking at a bee. Take a little time to learn what kind of native bees are in your area and do what you can to protect them by planting some pollinator plants. And if you're interested in reading more about emotional bees, Buckman's book is called What a Bee Knows, Exploring the Thoughts, Memories, and Personalities of Bees. Ladies and gentlemen, please free these bees! Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients 
are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on to the animal attack desk. Public health officials in Monroe County, New York, confirmed last week that a swift brown fox did not jump over the lazy dog, but it did bite six people in one day, and it had rabies. Surprise, surprise. One woman was bit as she was walking down her driveway. Quote, I felt this horrible pain in my left leg, and I thought somebody was sawing it off. Another resident, an eight-year-old named Arbery, told the reporters that the fox bit him in the leg as he was playing in his backyard. Arbery's dad used his hands to pry the fox's jaw off Arbery's leg and threw it away, but it got up and went after the boy again. Arbery's dad threw a brick at the fox and it fell down unconscious. Wildlife officials killed the fox in the backyard later that day. There is no effective rabies treatment once the infection has taken hold, according to the Mayo Clinic. While people have survived a rabies infection without treatment, it usually ends in death. The good news is that if you receive treatment before the virus establishes itself in your body, you'll probably be okay. If you haven't already had the rabies vaccine, doctors will start with a fast-acting shot to prevent the virus from infecting you. That will be followed by a series of rabies vaccinations to help your body learn to identify and fight the virus. If you think you've been bitten by a rabid animal, see a doctor as quickly as possible. If you know someone who has been bitten, avoid eye contact, fast movements, and get your hands on a silver bullet. In our second animal attack story of the week, a black bear in Canada shrugged off a beating and an entire can of bear spray before stealing and killing a pet dog. Two hikers in Jasper National Park were hiking with their two dogs off-leash near a trailhead. One of their dogs saw the bear and ran after it, but it didn't take long for that bear to realize it was much larger and hungrier than the canine. It turned around and charged the dog, but ended up grabbing the other pooch, which was also barking. One of the hikers deployed an entire can of bear spray at close range and hit the bear on the head with the empty can, but it wasn't enough. The bear ran away with the dog in its mouth, and wildlife officials later learned the bear had stashed it for future meals. That kind of aggressive behavior is enough for a death sentence in Canada. Biologists found and killed the bear the next day because, quote, this non-typical behavior indicates a highly habituated bear and increased the likelihood of further negative interactions. 
In case you're wondering, and I know you are, park visitors are required to keep their dogs under control and on a leash at all times, so you know. Moving on to the fishing desk. An eaglet in Tennessee became a minor celebrity last week when concerned citizens made officials aware that it had become caught in fishing line. The nest, located on the Dale Hollow Lake Marina on the Tennessee-Kentucky border, was being monitored by a public live stream camera. Viewers noticed that the two eaglets in the nest appeared to be stuck, and biologists who investigated later confirmed that both were tangled in fishing line and a hook. They were able to free both eaglets, but one of them required additional medical attention. Veterinarians performed surgery on the damaged tissue and joints on the eaglet's legs, but the joints became infected with septic arthritis. It is unclear right now whether the eaglet will recover. The American Eagle Foundation explained in a Facebook post that it may be able to return to the wild, but it cannot return to the nest. This is just a quick reminder that your fishing line doesn't disappear. Sometimes leaving a line in the water is unavoidable, but do what you can to bring all of it home. Some sweet baby symbol of American freedom might thank you. Moving on to the legislative desk. The Natural Resources Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill last week that would permanently remove gray wolves from the endangered species list. The bill, optimistically dubbed the Trust the Science Act, was introduced by Colorado Representative Lauren Bobert and co-sponsored by 24 additional Republicans. Bobert, whose name I hope I'm saying right, if not it's Bobert, argues that the wolf population in the lower 48 is well above initial goals and that states have proven that they can manage their populations. Let's do as my bill says and trust the bipartisan science and pass this bill so we can finally delist the recovered gray wolf and focus scarce taxpayer funding on endangered species that actually need help being recovered. The legislation would give the Secretary of the Interior 60 days to reissue a 2020 rule that delisted wolves in the lower 48. That rule was overturned by a judge in 2022, which restored protections for wolves in 44 states. Representative Bobert's legislation would restore the 2020 rule and clarify that once this rule is reissued, it will not be subject to judicial review. In other words, if this bill passes the House and the Senate and is signed by the President, the rule could not be challenged in court by conservation or animal rights groups. Democratic Rep. Debbie Dingell tried to pass an amendment removing that language, but the committee voted against it. Here's Committee Chairman Bruce Westerman responding to Representative Dingell's amendment. I appreciate the gentlelady's sincerity and wanting to, to work to fix some of these issues. I do oppose this amendment because I believe it puts back in place what the, the bill's trying to do, and that's to remove the, the litigants from actually stopping the science and the management. Westerman points out that wolf delisting occurred during both the Obama and Trump administrations, and so he believes this should be a bipartisan issue. Right now, that looks more like wishful thinking than anything else. Zero Democrats signed up to co-sponsor this bill, and zero Democrats voted for it in the 21-16 party line committee vote. The Republicans control the House by a very slim margin, and the Democrats control the Senate. Maybe it goes without saying, but the lack of Democratic support spells trouble for this legislation moving forward. Staying in Washington, D.C., Republican Representative Andy Biggs has introduced four bills that are not small. In fact, they would significantly reduce the ability of federal agencies to purchase land to conserve for public use. 
HR 2207, HR 2158, and HR 2169 would defund the 2024 Land Acquisitions Funds of the U.S. Forest Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and National Park Service. H.R. 2153 would severely limit the Bureau of Land Management from acquiring public land without a funding cap of $28 million, which is less than half of the proposed budget. Biggs introduced these bills alongside hundreds of other proposals he says will cut the federal budget and, quote, eliminate wasteful spending programs. He obviously doesn't have a clue what these programs do. They're anything but wasteful. On this issue, most of Biggs' colleagues in, in the Republican Party would disagree with him. Three-quarters of Congress, including many Republicans, voted for the Great American Outdoors Act, which permanently funded these programs with the Land and Water Conservation Fund. President Trump signed this funding into law, and even though Biggs voted against the Great American Outdoors Act, I don't recall him accusing President Trump of wasteful spending. Get in touch with your U.S. representative about these bills removing funding from LWCF, Keep in mind, LWCF was a monumental bipartisan act that's barely had time to breathe. These bills are short-sighted, perhaps even small-minded. Representative Biggs. You can find more info at themeateater.com forward slash cal. I have good news out of Michigan. The Michigan Department of Natural Resources announced last week that it had denied a request from the National Guard to expand Camp Grayling's footprint by more than 160,000 acres. We covered this story in detail back in episode 170. Camp Grayling is located in northern Michigan and is surrounded by state land used by Michiganders for hunting and fishing. The National Guard wanted to expand the camp's footprint into those areas, which could have significantly impacted public access. Thousands of hunters and anglers weighed in, and their voices were heard. Quote, we appreciate the many comments we received on this proposal and the commitment people have to public lands, said acting DNR Director Shannon Lott. Public concerns and feedback from tribal governments, coupled with our own review of the proposal, led us to decide against a 20-year lease on such a significant portion of state-managed land. The National Guard will still be allowed to apply for limited land-use permits to conduct exercises on up to 52,000 acres of eligible land, but the DNR says these permits will only be for low-impact training and public access will not be affected. Moving on to the mailbag. And this one's from Meat Eater's own Corinne Schneider. Canadian photographer Ken Pretty photographed a 30-foot-tall phallus-shaped iceberg off the Newfoundland coast. Ken hails from Dildo, Newfoundland, located 100 kilometers outside of St. John. I know what you're thinking, and you're correct. Dildo has a long history, as it was named by Captain James Cook back in 1760, but was inhabited possibly as early as 1600. Also, you may be thinking that a seashore town named Dildo is fitting because the word dildo comes from the name of a phallus-shaped wooden pin that an oar pivots against in a rowboat. Look how smart you are. Anyway, Ken is getting some hard-earned press from taking the picture of an iceberg that looks like a frozen male member. It has been dubbed Chilly Willy, and it's floating somewhere out in the Bay of Conception. Thank you, Corinne Schneider. And thank you to everyone for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Also, remember to go to www.steeldealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need and not try to send you home with what you don't. I got my chainsaw charging right now because I know I'll need it as I'm cruising around the turkey woods this weekend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. 
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.